And welcoming Minnesota College hockey fans to MNCAA episode number 17. And for the last few weeks, as always, we started with St. Cloud State and from the Warming House Den, we have Noah Grant joining us along. Uh, Noah, are the nuclear alarms finally been silenced or what the hell is going on in the Husky Nation? Well, I find it ironic that you mentioned that because I'm in North Dakota and, you know, nuclear silos. So, I mean, they oh. just played North Dakota, but I... I don't know, Nick. Um, I I don't think they are, to be honest with you. I'm calm. I'm no. feeling all right about life. Uh, I'm enjoying some hockey. Now, if I'm you gonna... listen to the Twitter verse or the Twitter <laughs> webs or whatever the hell they call it, apparently a panic is, is setting into Husky Nation. Uh, let's actually get to a reason why, right? Uh, last mm-hmm. weekend was uh, lightly said, not the weekend the Huskies faithful had wanted, especially after a dominating performance against Miami. Now, I think the big question is, you know, we talked about this a little bit a couple of days ago off air is, is this more of Miami was that bad and maybe St. Cloud a little bit too confident, or is this also a little bit North Dakota that had their backs against a wall losing four, some would argue five straight. And they know that this was a weekend series they needed to have. Yeah. Well, I think it was, uh, you know, kind of a perfect storm a little bit, right? We, we talked about all the things that North Dakota had to do that they weren't doing, you know, getting on the, getting on the board early, making sure that they were putting the puck in the net quite a bit during a hockey game. They had been kind of, you know, on a dry run in terms of scoring per game as of late. Um, and they did all of that, especially on Friday. I mean, they put all of that into a good ball of energy. They were on home ice as well, too. And as we know, um, Ralph Ingolstead arena is no slouch of a hockey rink uh, to have some home ice advantage. Um, and I, I don't know that the Huskies, you know, we also got to remember this too. Yes, they played Miami, which was not, you know, that great of a hockey team the previous weekend. Although we'll talk about the current opponent in Denver where Miami gave them a real run for their money last weekend. But besides that, the Huskies hadn't played since January 1st. And before that, they hadn't played since they played North Dakota uh, in their early week of December. So you want to talk about, you know, also not playing that much. I think people need to be a little bit more patient than what's going on. But regardless, yeah, losing seven to one on Friday night, you know, lone goal coming from uh, Yami Cranola, not the great, you know, start that you're looking forward to a weekend, but it was an okay response on Saturday. It was a shootout loss, but a much better effort. Yeah. So let's talk about some implications of the weekend, actually. Um, so as you mentioned, yeah, a throttling seven to one uh, Huskies defensively looks like a mess let's just be frank um as you mentioned that's how you respond saturday uh actually huskies up 3-1 um in this game it was north dakota that came back tied it and then eventually won it in a shootout however pairwise it is a tie um so for those who are wondering what the implications are uh for what was is essentially going to decide the huskies fate it is a tie in the pairwise um so let's actually talk about the impacts right so huskies uh new poll came out there seven uh, pairwise, I think they're hovering right around that seven, if not eight. Uh, I guess, you know what, again, we talked about the fans reaction and you're telling folks to calm down. Uh, but for the Huskies faithful who are looking at this next week's opponent, which is one of the better teams in the country. In fact, they're better than North Dakota. Um, this may be a reason why the alarm, the alarm bells, I should say, have not yet quieted down yet. Yeah, well, again, I go back to the fact, too, you know, talking about North Dakota, I mean, like you mentioned, North Dakota was, I think, what were they, 13th in the pairwise coming in there? They needed they needed something this weekend. And I also want to throw this out there. I think that Friday was so daunting to everybody that, you know, the reaction, um, 
the the reaction was, you know, oh my gosh, this team is terrible. They don't know how to play hockey. Last time I checked, you lose a game four to three in regulation, you lose a game twenty to one in regulation. It all looks the same as far as the loss column. You know, it's all the same. So it really was a loss and a tie for the Huskies. But the here's only- the difference, right? No one that is twenty to one versus or let's be honest, seven to one in this case, or four to three. The difference is we're now in February. And you know, it's if you're losing like this to what's supposed to be an opponent that you're on the same side to the fans, that doesn't look as good. Here's what I want to say, by the way, I, St. Cloud's still five in the pairwise right now. Still five. Okay. There's still five in the pairwise. Denver's number three. North Dakota jumped one spot. And that's what I want to point out. You talk about the implications. That's really, yes, we want the Huskies to do well in the NCH. You want them to get home ice for the playoffs. Yes, we're working towards that. You know, the Huskies lost a game. They tied a hockey game. They had a really good chance of winning on Saturday. It really was not as bad of a collapse as I think fans want to make it. Friday was bad. Friday was a bad hockey game. There's no doubt about it. You go down 3 nothing in the first period. Statistics say you're probably not coming back to win that hockey game, and North Dakota just kind of fed off the energy there. I thought it was a good response on Saturday from the Huskies. They didn't get the win, but, you know, you talk about Denver, uh, by the way, Denver, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but Denver is 8-1 and one in their last 10 with a tie to Alaska thrown in there as well. They've won 15 of their last 16 games or tied, you know, one game in there. They were last swept at guess where, Nick? North Dakota in November. They were outscored 7-2 to on the weekend. North Dakota's a good team at home, okay? Mm-hmm. The Huskies have a hell of a test this weekend. But again, as we talked about, when St. Cloud had a really poor weekend in Western Michigan, I wanted to see how they responded, and they responded brilliantly, brilliantly the following weekend. I'm not willing to put my hat on the the panic bell of the nuclear silo yet until I see a little bit more hockey from the Suskies team. And I think this is going to be a great example of a test because I think this is going to be the best team St. Cloud has seen all year. I would agree. Um, I think we could attest a little bit North Dakota – especially at home, right? But North Dakota is a team that plays with possession. And when they do, they play well. Um, hashtag Jake Sanderson. Holy crap. Um, you know, he put on a show. However. Yes, he did. I, the, I will I will say Alex Micheletti threw this out on Twitter. I don't know that that, I mean, it was a nice move. The goal that he scored, obviously. It wasn't jaw-dropping to me. Um, and I don't say that because I'm a Huskies fan. I don't say that to knock the kid. I mean, it's a great move. I mean, it, you know, forehand, backhand, and, and put a shot on net. But I mean, he didn't go through five guys. It wasn't a you know exaggerated T drag through whatever Connor McDavid style. It was a great move, but I think you know a lot of people were acting like this kid was a godsend from whatever. Which Jake's He's a very, an Olympian. Jake's a very good hockey player. I'm not taking anything away from. Him. I just want to say like <laughs> it was a forehand backhand move and a really nice finish. You know, sure. I, th- th- I I thought I thought Jake's play throughout the weekend, his breakouts, some of the poise, some of the plays he made with the puck in his own zone and just the way that he controlled the pace of the hockey game. He did what Nick Perbix has done all year for St. Cloud State, and Nick Perbix is one of the few bright spots still too for the Huskies. That's what impressed me more about Jake Sanderson as opposed to that goal. I think that was a flashy finish that's easy to throw on ESPN, but uh, all things considered, I thought Jake had uh, much more amazing things than that goal. But anyway. Sure. Uh, but I think the bigger trend when we talk about possession is how you initially get possession, right? Uh, yes. this, the, it's the face-offs. Uh, face-offs were not great this weekend. Uh, we talked extensively about this on the Warming House uh, podcast about how the loss of Will Hammer is something that's going to go under the radar. 
and will maybe at some point, if there isn't a replacement rear its ugly head, this is exactly what we're talking about, Noah. That is the, the Huskies really don't have that confident, you know, face off type line or person right now that they can throw no matter what zone the faceoff is and, and be confident to win it. Now they have put Kevin Fitzgerald out there in those type of situations, but they haven't really had the Will Hammer replacement they had last year. And I don't know if concerns the word, but that has been a big separating point, I think, between this season and last season as they don't have that faceoff guy. Yeah, you even go back to last weekend, right? The Huskies, you know, win a hockey game by a, a, an unreal margin on Friday night. And they were still, I don't even think they were over 50% on the faceoffs if I go back to my notes. But you go back to Friday's contest in North Dakota, 43% uh, in that game. The leader uh, was Yami Cranley. He was 9 for 13, so pretty decent for him. But you talk about Kevin Fitzgerald. Uh, you know, Kevin has a, Kevin has had an okay season in faceoffs, but he was six for twenty one that night. Like, that's not good. Um, and you go to Saturday, uh, forty two percent, so pretty much identical in the faceoff. Twenty six for sixty one. Mason Salquist led, but he only had seven draws and was fifty seven percent on that. So, you know, there aren't many Huskies players that are even cracking close to that fifty percent mark, and that obviously reflects in the ultimate team stat as well too. Uh, they are not winning possession uh, when it comes to the faceoffs, and it has been a trend not just throughout the month of January, but all season where they have really struggled in the dot. Like you mentioned, they've missed that guy that you can throw out, you, you know, that Will Hammer s person, your Aiden Spellacies, your Mason Salquist, that you can look at him and say, okay, D zone draw with two twenty left to play, that one's yours, and you're going to be out there for a, a minute thirty, uh, and you're going to take face off after face off and you're going to win five out of six of them. You know, they just don't have that guy right now. And what I think is a good thing coming out of all that is how good the Huskies have still played knowing that on a lot of these face offs, they're not the first ones with the puck. Uh, let's quickly bring in to, uh, to recap, uh, sorry, not to recap, but to preview Denver, um, a spot that has not been kind to the Huskies on the road as of recent. Yeah, no, it hasn't. They haven't, haven't won in uh, that building in Magnus Arena since 2015. It's one of the longest streaks in the NCHC for the Huskies. I believe it's the longest one actually in NCHC play for St. Cloud by a mile um, in terms of winning on the road. Uh, Denver, of course, first in the NCHC at 32 points, having a whale of a season, uh, honestly, 18 and 5 overall. It's uh, It's been pretty good. They had a scare, though. They had a scare last weekend against Miami. They were down 4-2. Uh, um, Two, I believe they were down against the Red Hawks and they clawed back and Cole Gutman scored with 11 seconds left to tie that game and they won it in overtime. That could have been a big pairwise implication game there. And then a four to two win with uh, the last goal coming with just over two minutes to play on Saturday against Miami. So good to see Miami respond, by the way. But this Denver team, albeit how amazing they have been, I mean, they're beatable. Don't don't tell me that they're not. They just have not been beaten very often. So like I mentioned, their last 16 games, one are tied the last 15. Uh, they've been swept only once, and that's been in North Dakota. And then a single loss to Duluth, Providence, and Boston College is all that throws on the docket for them. They've swept or one slash tied on a weekend, nine of 11 weekend series against the same opponent. How impressive is that? Only North Dakota. Average. Yeah, only North Dakota and Duluth are the only two teams that have escaped the weekend sweep against the Pios, and they have not lost yet at home. 15-1-1 and when scoring first, and 12-0-1 uh, when leading after the first period. So, yeah, could you say that the start's going to be important and that home ice is really challenging for the Huskies as they travel to Denver? Um, they went three straight games in January, Nick, without giving up a goal. 
Think about that. All right. 13 to zero was their margin and they outscored opponents 31 to 12 in January. So um, here's, so here's the question, Noah, though. And the question is how does St. Cloud respond after what was supposed to be kind of what could have been a springboard type weekend, right? It could have really been, uh, I would say a, you know, a stepping stone for them. It ends up being a step back, but how does the Huskies get on the right track again in a building that hasn't been great to them losing not only their head coach, they're losing their best defenseman defenseman of the month for the NCHC, Nick Perbix. And also uh, who was a little bit quieter last week, but Sam Henches, who had been on a tear since coming back from injury, how do they do it? Uh, first veteran experience. And the second part of this is I know we talk about starts of the game so much, but it goes back more to just the start of the game. I think what was evident last weekend, albeit North Dakota got on the board early on Friday night, what led up to it was that the Huskies looked a step slow. They they were not the ones in control of the pace on Friday night from the get-go. I think that's what St. Cloud needs to do. It doesn't have to be where you pot a goal early. If you do, great, awesome. You're off and running. Are you able to quiet the building down? Are you able to slow the play down and slow that energy down? The worst thing that can happen to you when you're on the road is the building gets involved early. And as you know, at the Herbert Central Hockey Center, when you're the home team and the building gets involved early, it's so much easier to roll. The adrenaline's flowing. Your legs don't feel as heavy. It feels a lot easier to make all these little plays. The Huskies have to find a way to be the first ones to generate a momentum-building moment on Friday. And I think they have the opportunity to do that. You look at the goal differentials. Uh, Denver, a whopping plus 33 in period number two. Uh, their margin uh, is absolutely incredible. In fact, if I can find it here, um, I had it somewhere. Else. There it is. Margin is 47 to 14 in period number two. They've outscored opponents 111 to 55 on the season. 47 of those have come in period number two. And period number three is just about as good for Denver. St. Cloud's dominated their first periods. So we talk so much about how important their start is. I think that's where St. Cloud's got to start is they've got to have a good jump and they've got to find a way to be the ones that carry momentum early. It sounds simple every week that we say it, but the Huskies didn't do it last weekend. Kind of did it a little bit on Saturday, I guess, but they're going to have to find a way in a building that they've really struggled with. And uh, real quickly, what's our predictions? Uh, What does St. Cloud do? Can they end up breaking the home streak for Denver? Can they get back in the win column? Uh, once, not twice, or do they come out with a goose egg in the entire weekend against one of the better teams in the NCAA uh, Division One hockey? Pro- I, be- I believe that there's going to be a split this weekend, and the reason I say that is I think the Huskies are going to find a way. Um, I think it's going to be ugly. <laughs> I really do. You know, without without Nick Perbix, without you think Sam it has Hedges, to be a little bit. A little bit, honestly, because I think they need a win like that. Maybe a win where they get outshot by 15, but they find a way to hang in a hockey game in a really tough building that they haven't, you know, thrived in. You know, I think if you get one of those on Friday night, I think the Huskies are going to be just fine. I think Denver is too good to be swept, uh, not only at home, but maybe even on the road this season. Uh, So I believe Denver's going to at least get one of those, but I believe it's going to be a split. And you talk about some of their players, Nick, very quickly. Fifth-year Cameron Wright, he's got eight goals in the last five games. Bobby Brink is on an unbelievable tear, 35 points this season, 27 apples for him. This is a scary team up and down the lineup, freshmen to fifth-year players. you got to find a way to contain some of these hot scores. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think this is one of the few times where we can look and say, here is a team that not only has high-end scorers, but might have a little bit more depth than St. Cloud this year. I don't think North Dakota was that way last weekend. I think Denver is that team, and it's really going to have to come within. It's going to have to be a gritty effort, but I think the Huskies are up to it. 
They'll have to be, again, got critical and CHC points on the line. St. Cloud back six of what would be a home ice advantage. Uh, the team above them in fourth is Minnesota Duluth. Uh, a couple, uh, a normal series uh, early March, but then also a split at home Tuesday, a week off, another Tuesday. That was a makeup for postponements early January. Uh, Noah Grant, thanks again for joining us. And now let's uh, welcome in uh, our friend Ryan Stieg, uh, who will break us down with some uh, a team back connection this week with St. Thomas and the Tommies. And now joining us to talk a little St. Thomas hockey is again from TripleDeep.com, Ryan Stieg. Ryan, welcome back. Uh, it was a week off for you, but uh, happy to have you back on the show. Yeah, it, uh, I didn't have a whole lot <laughs> to talk about last <laughs> time, but uh, you know, it's nice to be back. It, uh, it's a fun thing to do. So uh, with that being said, uh, we have nothing to recap, uh, yeah. but we do have plenty of previewing to do. Uh, St. Thomas back uh, after their last outing uh, facing number one Mankato. Uh, doesn't get any easier this time taking on number 15 uh, Michigan Tech. Uh, how about this? An old WCHA foe that is getting a little bit of love here from the USAHO.com polls and uh, certainly won't be another easy weekend here for the Tommies. Oh, it uh Tech is probably, other than Mankato, um, probably the hottest team in the CCHA and one of the hottest teams in the country. They're, I've Michigan Tech has been good ever, for quite a while since I started covering the league, but this is probably the most consistent Tech team because I've seen them, you know, have off weekends in the past despite having a good week, but they've won five in a row. They're just clicking at a strong level and um as rico blasi said as i put in the preview they get they're good in all areas they got good goaltending with like pedala you have good special teams you have depth at every position i mean they're they're probably with like i said with the exception of mankato they're probably the most stacked team i would say in the league and, so that's gonna uh, be a tough weekend yeah very gonna be tough uh i would say you know when you look at the Tommies, I mean, tough uh, way to kind of get indoctrinated into hockey day, uh, facing the number one team in the country, but they had some building blocks. They played well. It, it, and yeah, again, we talk about how there's no, you know, sort of moral victories. We, we've kind of beat the dead horse uh, enough on that. But uh, again, this program continues to get better every weekend. Uh, what do you expect? Uh, second time that they'll face uh, Northern Michigan this uh, this season. Uh, what do you expect out of this matchup? Well, they're playing Michigan Tech, so that's Michigan it. Tech. <laughs> that's... <laughs> can you tell? Can you tell that my all my eggs are in the same basket? I mean, yeah. my goodness, Ryan. Uh, thanks yeah. for correcting me. Yeah, sorry, Michigan Tech. My gosh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting weekend. I'm expecting tech to come out strong that's what they did up in holton that first night there's really blitzed the tommy's really hard and it just it turned what could have been a competitive game into pretty much a blowout but things were a different story on saturday night um some people look at tech's record and they're just like wow they're just gonna roll through this weekend i think uh one of our uh, fellow uh how do I say it? Our co-workers uh, right here on the podcast said they got a, two gimmies this weekend against St. Thomas. Oh boy. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, it might appear that way, but Saturday night, Eppen Houghton, 
St. Thomas almost beat them, came back, tied the game, and lost in overtime. And the fact that they took a good team like Tech and forced overtime with them, I think it shows that, you know, St. Thomas isn't intimidated by Michigan Tech. The fact that they almost beat them, I think going into this weekend, they're not going to think, oh, this, our backs are against the wall. This is going to be, you know, a really difficult weekend. They're like, hey, we came one goal short of knocking them off, and we could have had our third win of the season and have really something to brag about. Uh, I'm expecting a somewhat close series. Um, it's uh, I think Tech's going to obviously play well, but I don't think that they're going to blow the doors off St. Thomas Ice Arena, as some people might be thinking this weekend. <laughs> Ryan, you know, again, two wins on the season. Uh, you know, this Tommy's team, you know, they've, they've had close calls, right? And, and you mentioned St. Thomas Ice Arena. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there's talk, and I'm not sure. Well, let me ask you this. For for the new arena, which I believe is is, is it proposed or has it been finalized on the old Ford plant? Has that, is that an actual done deal now? I don't think it's actually done. There's... A theory that that's where it's going to be but from what i've heard it's not a full done deal i think they're looking in a lot of places i'm not sure exactly where but uh you know it the things that you have to keep in mind with you're looking for arena is you know what kind of arena are you actually hoping to build are you actually hoping to what's your capacity you want on you know how many fans do you think you're actually going to get i don't think there actually is a minimum requirement in the CCHA for, you know, you have to have a certain capacity. I, um, I know there used to be one, like, I don't think it was hockey related, but for football, I think you have to have a certain capacity to actually play at a certain level. So I don't know if that's the case in hockey or not, but you got to think logistically, how many fans are you going to get to show up for a game? And are you going to get have the women play in the same arena? I'm hoping they do, because that would kind of be a, blow to the women's program to be like okay here's this really really nice arena for the men to play in but you guys go play in the high school arena <laughs> you know for it would it would be i mean st thomas doesn't have the budget to pull what the gophers did and have the men play it you know three ma'am or i guess that's what i call it i, I still refer to it as mariucci which i feel like we should yes. even yeah, um but and then you got the girl the women who play at the uh ritter arena so they don't have the budget to do that, but I think, you know, have them both in the same side would be great. Uh, I, we're, I'm trying to think where would I want to put it? I want, I'd want to put it as close to campus as I could get. I know they don't have a whole lot of room <laughs> around no. there. Yeah. No. So I just, I would try to get it as close as you can get in the general vicinity. You don't want to get too far away. Otherwise you get, you know, our students going to really drive, to games unless they're really unless st thomas gets a big boost in their program and they immediately start to turn things around the next couple of years it's like you want to make sure you get the student section to show up too and the students have actually come out to the games i don't think if people notice that but uh they've gotten a good student contingent there um for the men's games i'm hoping that improves for the women's games too but uh it's an it's an interesting question to have on where they're going to put the arena and um I really don't know what route they're going to take. I know you have to consider a lot of factors. On what you're gonna do. You do. Um, Arizona, the Coyotes are asking the same question. So <laughs> <laughs> they're not alone. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, Ryan, you talk about budget. If Arizona 
is available still. Maybe <laughs> St. Thomas says, hey, come play your home games here. They'll fork in a few million. You'll build yeah. you a really nice practice facility, but it's an option, right? Um, but I'm glad you brought up the student section, Ryan, because, you know, you, like you said, this is sort of that, you know, the toes dip in the water year for St. Thomas. I'm glad you brought up that the students are showing up, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of it, I think that's what makes college hockey different than the NHL is that you have those rowdy, the, the trash talk student sections, right? At mm-hmm. least that's how I envision, uh, I guess, a student section. I remember uh, I call it Mariucci too. When I was growing up, I had my, my dad, my uncles take me to Mariucci. And one of the things I looked forward to was the chance and the trash talk behind the opposing goaltender. To me, that's what made college hockey different. I'm curious as to what you think makes a college hockey student section either great or what the definition is of one is what what's your take on that well i i think um you know the students are showing up for st thomas but you know it's st thomas the capacity is only a thousand so you're really not going to get like the loud arena that you'd they probably would like to have but you know just to get some stand i mean uh there wasn't a whole lot of chanting but there was some loud applause there was some cheering there fans are starting to get into it i for me, a great student section is one that is passionate, that shows up early, um, and shows up to every game and kind of doesn't let up. Like, if the team is down, they're still cheering. They're still chanting. They try to get in the goalies' heads. They try to, you know, the. I mean, when I, I went to North Dakota for school, and, uh, I mean, some of our students would literally lean over into the penalty box and talk trash to the players who are sitting in there and not banging on the glass, like lean over and literally <laughs> yell at them and insult them as much as they could. So it's uh, I, I like a good student section that always has spirit. Um, it's hard when your team is struggling, but one that has just a lot of passion. I mean, when I was at U, um, UND, we, stood in line for an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours to make sure we had the best seats in the arena until, you know, they offered, they actually gave you tickets where you could sit wherever, you know, (laughs) you wanted to sit. But I remember doing that and it was like middle of January and it was cold. And I just like it when students are just really hardcore and want to get behind their program and experience it. So that to me, that's what it takes to be a good student section. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the university, right? So uh, St. Thomas, you know, as far as location is concerned, just north of Summit uh, in between both Creighton and Cleveland Avenue. Uh, and then the proposed facility for the Ford plant would be, what, five to six blocks south? So not necessarily walking distance, distance. <laughs> uh, especially during, you know, the harsh Minnesota winters. Yeah. Uh, you know, because was it today? High of five above and the low tonight with the wind could be as low as, what, 10 to 12 below actual yeah. air temperature. So, just, so yeah. and not great, but. You know, I I know that uh, there was an article in in the St. Cloud Times uh, from a recent, you could call it transplant from uh, Michigan to St. Cloud. And one of the complaints that the the viewer or the the reader had was, you don't bust the students there. And I'm just like, St. Cloud doesn't have the budget for that. Now, St. Thomas, maybe, Mm -hmm. if that's the best spot. But it's still, you, you need to have that passion. You need to have the reason to provide the busing there. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if obviously year one, maybe year two would, I don't know. I'm not sure of the arguments there, but maybe year three. Uh, but like you said, that's, if that's the only spot for him, um, I, I just don't know if 
that's one of the only, you know, locations possible, but I would agree um, with that, Ryan. And, and also, you know, for a good fan base, right? Mm-hmm. You want some to travel. I mean, you hate to give North Dakota credit. <laughs> Still, it's the Fighting Hawks for those who are listening to this. It's not the Sioux. Sorry, it's over. It's done with. Put it to bed. You're dead. Um, but is that also a hallmark of a student section? Is you know, and maybe even just that, but a fan base that travels with the team. There's not. There's some close opponents for the CCHA that could make that possible. That, I mean, all the Minnesota teams. You know, it would. It'd be great if a rivalry, you know, exists for St. Thomas because, you know, you, you. The problem with St. Cloud is in you know, and the Gophers is that they're in different conferences. So it's like it's probably not going to be as intense that it would be maybe with Mankato or potentially Bemidji. Um, you know, it's but. If you build it, they're you know they're not far away. You can maybe have a non-conference series each year, and as St. Thomas gets better, you know you could try to create that intensity. It's it takes a while to build a rivalry, though. I mean, yes, years and years, and you got to have some bad blood in there, some tournament losses, some maybe some fights going out. You know that's what that's what makes kind of college hockey great. And you know everybody knows UND fans travel well. And they, you spot them everywhere. I saw two UND fans at the Gophers St. Thomas exhibition game and saw St. Paul. It was the most. It was the most strange thing. I'm like, there's two people wearing suit jerseys in the audience. I I got you beat uh, in Pittsburgh for the Frozen Four. There were plenty of Fighting Hawks slash suit jerseys out there. When last time I checked, they didn't make it out there. I don't know. I don't know. Did, did you see? Did did they make it to the Frozen Four? Um, from what I gathered, they lost in uh, some really, really long, long game to some team up north in Minnesota. I don't know. That's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Last I checked, you were correct, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> speaking of being correct or maybe incorrect, I think it's time to offer our weekend predictions, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, St. Thomas, do they, you know, a week off, so they're rested or they're ready to play. At least I would hope that they would be. Uh, can they steal a game? Can they steal two? Or does uh, Michigan Tech, Tech, Yes, I got that in my head this time. Yeah. Did they pull away with a, a sweep on the road in Saint uh, at St. Thomas's barn? I've kind of gotten back and forth on this because I've said, you know, on paper it looks like this is going to be a sweep because Tech's hot and they're good and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, but St. Thomas came close. They came so close to pulling it off. And hold, so it's like, can you fully count it out they're going to do it, that it's going to be a sweep? Um I think honestly, it's going to be a sweep. I think Tech's going to pull, you know, win both games. But truthfully, it's not going to be like an eight nothing or like a seven to two game. I think it's, you know, I'm thinking maybe a four two game, maybe a five three game. I mean, it's it's all about can the Tommies just get something consistent going? Because the last few games, what I mean against Mankato, it was two one midway through the third period and people on social media are like, are they going to pull this off? Could they actually beat Minnesota state? And eventually they, you know, Minnesota state does what they do and they caught fire, but it's just, maybe it could happen. I, I, I think it's a distinct possibility. I don't, I think tech's going to sweep, but I don't think it's going to be this easy gimme as uh, one of our, uh, coworkers (laughs) co-workers <laughs> called <laughs> earlier on social media um so yeah I'm, I'm thinking a tech sweep but i think it's gonna be closer than people think 
I definitely agree with you, Ryan. I'm thinking two for tech, but uh, it won't be as, as you guys said, that the uh, the easy road to victory, as people are guessing. Uh, Ryan, as always, thank you very much. Uh, but now we do have to turn our attention over to the rodents that occupy the Twin Cities. Yes, I'm talking about the Minnesota Golden Gophers as we welcome in our correspondent, Drew Cove. Let me tell you, let's talk about some DraftKings shit. <clears throat> yeah, let's talk about DraftKings. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56 is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Just bet $5. Five. Get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. What? If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get free shots at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Do it right now. Use promo code THPN and get 56 to one get why whoa get 56 to one odds on either team bet just five dollars and get 280 in free bets if your team wins that's promo code thpn at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of super bowl 56 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction see draftkings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state specific responsible gaming sources void where prohibited gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in tennessee call or text the tn red line 1-800-889-9789 in connecticut call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in new york call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text HOPE NEW YORK 467-369 they changed up that fucking ad read and that fucked me up um wow And let's welcome in Drew Cove to talk to the Minnesota Golden Goofs. Sorry, Golden Goofer, Golden Goofers. Gophers. I got it right this time. Drew Cove, welcome to the show. How you doing, buddy? Hey. Pretty good. How are you? And I feel like didn't we make that joke? Didn't you make that joke last week? You know, it's all I it's all I got right now. Actually, it's don't. I got another one for you. How about be consistent? Actually, honestly, this has been the talk of the tournament, right? The talk of the season. So um gophers win big on friday uh then for some odd reason they decided hey we won game friday we don't gotta try saturday we got these guys 5-1 notre dame goes up to nothing minnesota crawls to an overtime loss um this is really the well the epitaph that's been written on the season was displayed this last weekend wouldn't you agree yeah and you know what uh it's i was just i was kind of weighing the scales there because it's like it's, it's inconsistency on a given weekend, but then hey, it's the consistency of the whole season. This is the way it's gone all year long, and they can't they can't uh, 
they, they can't find a way to get out of it. And it's just, and I keep saying, we'll, we'll see it when we believe it. We'll, or we'll believe it when we see it. We'll believe it when we see it. Uh, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. Like, it's just, it doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, it, when you can come out and beat a team that uh, obviously Notre Dame isn't as much of a slouch as uh, everyone, not as everyone thought, but uh, as, as, as they could have been this year and um, to get run over by some of the bigger, bigger guns, but, they're taking advantage of these teams that uh, like Minnesota, they're able to, they're able to kind of get not humiliated, but kind of just beaten out and just saying, all right, we're going to, we're going to come back the next night and, and do something to them. And you know what? It's, it's the Gophers have fallen victim to it too many times and they just can't put consistent weekend so far. I, I wish I could, I wish I could pinpoint what that is and why that is. And I don't know if that's jumping the gun for you a little bit, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's coming if if something happens now, it might be too little, too late. I don't know, but yeah, the impressive performance on Friday, and then uh, yeah, a goal in the second and third periods to only to beat uh, get beaten in overtime, just still not even a minute in. So, what can you do? I don't know. It's a it's what, what, it's hard to make anything of this team this year in terms of consistency. Besides just saying, all right, we know how to win a game, lose a game on a weekend. You know, it's it is a head scratcher, right? Because you look at the roster, and now it's changed because you have a few folks that are uh, uh, with Team USA over there in Beijing competing with the Olympics. So now, you know, the contributors or the maybe the more consistent pieces are off competing on the international stage. So this is sort of that make or break moment for the Gophers. And we, we kind of touched on this last week, but, you know, you wanted guys to step up. You talked about some of the veterans, your Blake McLaughlin's and some other names on the team. But I almost want to say that now, Whoever slots in for these players, this is their time to shine. And, you know, it's needed. Now is the time where this team has to come together. Uh, if they're going to make any noise in the Big Ten slash the NCAA playoffs, now is the time to do it. Yeah, and they might be they might be learning who their, some of their top-line guys and some of their leaders are for next year uh, down the stretch here. The guys who are able to try and pin – uh, give them get get them some success, and obviously, uh, with Ben Myers and Matthew Nyes gone, uh, I think I think that's a big that's a big hit. And obviously, uh, Nyes could not be long. Who knows if he has a good Olympics and a good end of the season for the Gophers? He uh, uh, he could not also be long for this world. I think he comes back for another year. He'll definitely be a top line guy. Um, but Ben Myers, I I wouldn't be shocked if he if he tries to sign an NHL contract. If I were him, I think there's interest. I bet there's interest there. Um, in a hard nosed, just kind of a, uh, just a, a, a big, just thick guy. If you get what I mean, you know, he's just, a, he's just a big dude and he's a force and, and teams could use that in center. And that's not even just an NHL team. I think there'll be a lot of teams coming after him to be, uh, one of those minor league, one of those guys that can just spend a couple years, two, three years in the minors and maybe get that skill level up. But he's got the body. He's got the body for the NHL. Um, but it's just a matter of kind of keeping that skill and getting, getting, being able to work, work past his uh, his. Not that he's short, but for NHL, they're they're always looking for taller guys. And it's always those those shorter Gophers forwards that always have trouble making that making the NHL past the past being regulars in the AHL. So um, I think that would be a perfect role for him. Teams will be clamoring for that kind of thing. To perform one of those guys that can be a leader and to be a leader quickly. Um, and to maybe play some minutes there for him. But, um, you know, back to the just the main point, too. It's like the Chaz Lucius, this is, I feel like this is going to be his time to really shine. 
Um, this is going to be his team sooner or later, uh, uh, just from a skill standpoint, because it's obviously uh, kind of him and Matthew Nye is kind of leading the way up front as the younger guys right now. But he's going to need to lead the way for those uh, for some of those those other guys, the Pitlicks and the Huglins of the world, to to really get up to speed and to to be ready to to take the mantle of the of the, of the Gophers next year. Uh, if if they have if they have another weekend here of a, of 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 split, that's that's really the I, th- I think the best that we can look forward to because if, if if the Gophers can I mean obviously one season being dominant in the, in the regular season like last year and then being out in the first round it doesn't dictate that okay if they have a weaker season this season they'll they won't win a game but odds are if they make the tournament to the plane like this they're not going to make it too far so it's just it's almost kind of a hey let's just let's, let's get these guys. Let's play the way we can, and if there's if there's not a, a lot to be had uh, in terms of the tournament this season, got to got to build for for the next season. You know, you mentioned you know, some of the smaller guys uh, that's come for the Gophers program. Uh, Kyle Rowell is a name that I think comes to mind uh, for me, and one of the more fun guys in recent memory. Now it's not been recent; it's been a few years. But Taylor Camerata. That uh, was a guy that I was really, I really loved watching him just because of how he, as a small player, was only five foot seven, able to create space. He had just unbelievable vision on the ice. He had great hockey IQ. Mm-hmm. But again, the NHL, is it mean more allowable for players his size? I mean, you look at Nathan Gerby has has had a sniff here. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. not, you know, not a former gopher, but the smaller kids uh, get into shot because it is becoming more of a skill and speed league and not the bruising but again when you have a player like Matthew Nice who can combine that speed and the skill of a guy that mm-hmm. normally comes in a smaller package with that size right makes him yeah. just a you know such a valuable asset and mm-hmm. i guess for the gophers and maybe we haven't asked the question enough is this a team that's full of players that just are more maybe on the individual selfish kind of side or is this i mean and i asked the question not to be you know facetious but i you kind of wonder is this team really cohesive is this team really playing on the same page because you know you you have a lot of these guys that are skilled you have guys that are you know maybe not quite as highly skilled and for whatever reason this team just can't seem to get anything together for more than just a one or two games yeah i don't know if i'd consider it selfish i think it's just they haven't been able to figure it out um as a team going into the second night. And that just, maybe that's just a leadership thing. I don't know. Sammy Walker's obviously been here for a long time in that kind of leadership role. And uh, for some, for, for some reason, maybe just this mix of guys isn't working in terms of being able to stay up for, for both nights. And maybe it has too just been just a big string of, uh, of, uh, of kind of just not being able to come out and then hitting the wrong pucks at the wrong time. And then uh, kind of being in the right, wrong place at the wrong time. But, Obviously, that can't happen every single every single weekend, but uh, um, you know it's it's just a year to year thing. I think what Bob Motzko has really done is made this made this program uh, pretty cohesive. I think from a from a standpoint of uh, they're playing they're playing for the the name and I mean the Herb Brooks adage, you know, just the, the you play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back. Um, Obviously, the college is a game where you got to be thinking of yourself, too. And you know what? A perfect example is Jack LaFontaine and saying, all right, I can get a contract now. I got to take it because, I mean, college college is there so you can go and get a job. If I, if I, if I got a job junior year of college, uh, I mean, working and making decent money, I, I mean, wh- why wouldn't I go take that? And, and being just because he's on the hockey team doesn't mean you should take it. And that's a, that's a good paycheck. That's something that can help you out for a while. So. 
Um, but I don't think it's it's necessarily a selfish problem, but I think it's just it, it's it's got to be just a uh, something something from Friday to Saturday that's just not mixing with whether it's uh, kind of coaching staff and or just the players, the leaders on on the bench too. Who knows? But uh, um, I don't think it's necessarily a selfish side, and I think Bob Motzko has obviously done a lot of work to 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 make it really guys who are just proud to play for the Gophers, and uh, I. I I think that uh, he's he spent a lot of time working on that and uh, building that, trying to build that culture with the guys he's brought in over the years. And um, yeah, I just it's 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 hard to pinpoint, you know. Do you think? I mean, because we haven't really discussed coaching, because I think everybody would agree Bob Motzka has has done some great strides to turn this around. But it, does coaching have any bear to, of the blame for the inconsistencies as well? Yeah, you could. You, I mean. In terms of just bringing the film to the film to the guys Saturday morning, that that type of thing, and saying, okay, here, here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna review what we did last night, and and I, I it could just be a lack of urgency from the guys when they say, okay, we had a five one win, uh, and and obviously the coach is saying, all right, don't get up, don't get too on your high horse here, but then maybe some guys do let it get to their head, who knows? But uh, I don't I don't I don't know if it's necessarily a coaching thing. Obviously, we're not in the room and able to see what they're doing on those Saturday morning kind of film sessions before. Uh, before the the, the the kind of closing out of the weekend, but um, yeah, you you kind of wonder where it's where the disconnect is between Friday and Saturday, and what's going on in those twenty four hours, or the, really the twenty one ish hours between between uh, ending the game and one night and uh, starting the, the next uh, another. So, Drew, let's, let's quickly preview Michigan State uh, again, a, a team that uh, the Gophers should beat, you know, should beat. Uh, but again, you know, again, this Gopher team has shown us that well. Anything is possible, and that hasn't been necessarily a good thing, right? So, uh, what are your thoughts with uh, the, the Spartans heading over to three M at Miriuchu? What do you think? Uh, they swept them um, on the road. Can they do the same thing at home? Yeah, I think they can do it. And you know what? If, I like I said before too, this is this is the weekend they they need a sweep, um, if, if only for confidence in themselves, but also for confidence in the fan base. Kind of saying, okay, this team can maybe do some damage or do something in the in the postseason in the tournament or even getting to the tournament at that point, they kind of keep having these split losses. They'll be on the bubble. They'll, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're in the, they're in the low teens or mid teens, the pairwise right now. But, uh, um, obviously not finishing middle of the big 10 conference is really going to do too much, uh, to, to help their, their cause unless they do some damage in the conference tournament. But, um, yeah, they're going to need a sweep. Um, like we've been saying every couple weekends, you know, they just, they need a sweep against Michigan. They needed a sweep against Notre Dame. It didn't happen. Um, they're running out of time. They need it. And, uh, I think it could happen this weekend, especially if it happened at Mun uh, just uh, a few months ago and we'll see if it can happen. Uh, I, am again, I'll, uh, I'll, bring, I'll say this exact same thing. We keep saying, I'll believe it when I see it at this point, it's, uh, um, what better team to do it against a team you've already, you've already shown you can do it before. And for the guys in the room, that's gotta be some confidence there. Uh, you know, real quick, you talked about pairwise, the Gopher sitting 11th in the pairwise, which if you really consider it, that is close to bubble territory, if not in bubble territory, when you talk about the, the conference, uh, tournament champions getting the auto bids, I mean, that's what four or five, uh, if auto bids, so, I mean, they're essentially in that territory. Are you concerned that, you know, again, as you mentioned before, that these maybe, you know, split weekends keep happening. And especially if, it's Michigan State, who hasn't had the greatest of seasons, uh, can impact that pairwise ranking. Are you at all concerned that they may be 
on the bubble or maybe worse on the outside looking in come March 20th and selection Sunday. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, let's let's see down the line here. Obviously, Michigan State coming up, but Ohio State, I think, will be their toughest test after that. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be really going out of the season with a whimper, especially if they can't uh, if they can't put together at least three out of four victories in two against Penn State and two against Wisconsin, uh, especially Wisconsin's at Mariucci this uh, at the kind of series the final series of the, of the season, regular season that is, but. Um, they'll they'll need those victories and i think uh they'll need they'll need two this weekend they'll need at least one against ohio state and then they'll need three or four out of the out of the last uh the last two series there but uh it, it could be dangerous and if they come out with splits more splits than uh than than they than they want uh in kind of the way the season's gone it, it could be i think it could be pretty dicey uh last question for you drew and again thanks for joining us um can minnesota in a one game playoff type atmosphere and this is the big 10 championship game imagine they get there they're facing michigan can they beat that squad again i think all signs are the roads are leading to sort of that uh, that collision there but mm. you know, can they pull it off and even pull off an auto bid or you know is michigan just too deep too good uh what do you think if, if that situation arises do you have confidence the gophers could pull it off If you give me one game against Michigan, I think they can do it. Uh, I don't think there's much hesitation there. I think if if it came down to having to play two or three and being the best out of three, I think that would be a much different story. But I think I think if it's sixty minutes, uh, everybody there's you got all the best players. I mean, you got the Matthew Nyes, you got Ben Myers, you got Brock Faber here. But then you're also playing against their top guys that are also at the Olympics. I think I think the Gophers could. It, it might, might be more of a toss-up, but I definitely think the Gophers can pull it, could pull that off. That's also assuming Michigan shows up, right? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> that's the that's the story going on, and, and even yeah, it's uh, it's not even the the worst stories, but uh, yeah, it's a topic no, for a different we, day too. So it is, yeah. Michigan uh, under a flurry of different things behind the scenes, and. Uh, not pretty if you're uh, a, a yeah. blue and uh, gold fan out there for Michigan. But uh, no. that will wrap it up here. Druco for the maroon and gold here in the Twin Cities as we now send it up to Max Beach to get an update on the Bulldogs from Minnesota Duluth. And now, of course, as always, joining us from the Iron Range, the Arrowhead, the whatever triangle corner is above Lake Superior, uh, Max Veach here to talk Bulldogs. Max, how you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing well. Getting getting ready and excited to talk to you. I didn't realize it took preparation to talk to me. My God, have I Just really you. sunk to the depths of Ichigumi? <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> speaking of uh, sinking depths, um, the team that went into Western Michigan a lot of eyes on this weekend. Uh, this team kept themselves afloat pretty well against a very good Western Michigan squad. Um, a split series. Again, you call the split series uh, between uh, both the Broncos and the Bulldogs. Uh, but, you know, that's lightly saying it, uh, I would say, right? A 5-4 victory on Friday, followed up by a 2-3 to loss on Saturday. And, uh, Max, I'm just going to really open the floor to you because uh, you you have some emotions that you want to display here uh, for the fans, especially with maybe some ref puck 
I certainly do. So I, I was very happy to see that, you know, when we talked last week, I said the first one to three is going to win these games. And that, that proved to be true both nights. The first team that got to three ended up winning. The Bulldogs ultimately got five goals, unchar- uncharacteristic for them on uh, on Friday night. But then Saturday, all it took was three for either one of them to win, and it happened in overtime. Unfortunately, the Bulldogs came out on the wrong side of that one. So um, happy Friday, especially with how they, they performed, even though it was a back-and-forth game. I think they showed a lot of grit in there. Um, Saturday, still not that much to be, you know, upset about on the play of the Bulldogs. What I was upset about was some of the calls that you alluded to there. And I really hate, especially on Twitter, when people are going back and forth and they're just complaining. They sound like petulant little children and it just annoys me to no end. But I found myself in that same cycle. It just seems like the Bulldogs could not get a call to go their way from the referees. They had another goal taken back on a, a goalie interference that, in my opinion, again, questionable. And I'm just like, what's what's happening here? And how many times are we going to get called for incidental contact or a tripping where somebody falls over or whatever? It just seemed like it was never ending for them. And despite their best efforts, they just came out on the wrong side. Was it East Coast refs? I haven't gone into looking into who it was yet because I don't want to get angry if it was. <laughs> well, it won't be Michigan rest because they did. They actually showed up anyway. Uh. So, ah, uh, anyway, but, uh, you know, Bulldogs though, did d- do some separating. You could say again, fourth in the NCHC, uh, with St. Cloud, uh, trying to follow up a, a smashing of Miami end up getting smashed themselves up at Ralph Angusted arena. Um, was a three point, only get advantage uh, from prior to this week, and now a six-point advantage. Uh, but, Max, I, I hate to bring it to you, the next time Duluth takes the ice is against the St. Cloud State Huskies. And you know what? I'm looking forward to it because despite it being a quote-unquote bye week for the Bulldogs, they still found a way to play, which means more hockey for me. So whatever it takes, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And and this is an interesting matchup, um, you know, as far as – at least for St. Cloud fans, um, they circle anytime the Bulldogs and the Huskies get together. One, I'm not sure if it's a dog thing. I don't, I don't really think so. They call it the Battle of the Bone, right? Yeah. Um, both uh, Scott Sandlin, the head coach of UMD, and Brett Larson, again, an assistant on uh, Sandlin staff for a couple of years. So there's a lot of familiarity in the systems, a lot of familiarity in how the teams coach, um, how they execute, and how they play, how they recruit. There's a lot of things that are similar about these squads. Uh, what is it about this? matchup because I, I I think it's a rivalry I really do in the NCHC um, but what is it about this matchup that is so intriguing I, I think it's similar to what what you just kind of were talking about there um, being in the NCHC there's there's going to be a lot more um, physical play and that leads to some passionate takes on both sides and being that we get to see it week in and week out it's it's going to happen more often you're going to feel like you're in a rivalry game more than some of these other schools where it's just finesse where you're getting blown out or blowing somebody out and it just doesn't feel like it's close. It feels like these are always really close games. And especially with St. Cloud, I'm, I'm not sure what it is about them particularly, but every one of those games seems like it's really interesting to watch. And it's never a letdown, whether you're watching it on TV, in the arena, wherever. It, it seems like you're finding somebody either on your side or or sometimes it's more fun to find somebody that's on the opposite side and either betting against them or you know just having a little bit of fun. As you mentioned, Bulldogs uh, having a bye week, uh, at least in theory, right this right. week. Uh, but, you know, one of the best college hockey games I've ever witnessed was the NCHC championship game. And was it 2019, I believe? 
uh, there in St. Paul, uh, where the Bulldogs uh, came back in overtime to, to win that game, uh, just back and forth. Again, that was the 18-19 Husky squad that was stacked. Uh, they'd never lost a single game at home in regulation at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center, but couldn't pull off uh, the, uh, you could call it the Penrose Cup, which would have, I don't know, kind of put the icing on the cake. But uh, yeah. nonetheless, uh, I think AIC gave us uh, some icing that we really weren't <laughs> anticipating that season. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes, as a Husky fan, and bringing that up, but that's fine. Uh, we're past that. Uh, but stakes are different this year. Um, you know, both these teams really not either pulling away, you know, as far as, you know, both in the in the pairwise or in the NCHC, you can thank Denver and Western Michigan for that. Uh, so, you know, there's actually quite a lot at stake here. Uh, if Duluth wins, uh, and I think we should clarify, right? Now, this is a Tuesday night game. This is one of the two that was rescheduled from uh, what was supposed to happen, a, a normal weekend series in January. We'll play once on the 8th again, another Tuesday matchup in the 22nd before St. Cloud will travel to Amsoil uh, for the last regular season uh, matchup in March. But at the end of it, uh, this could turn a six-point advantage for Duluth. Now, granted, Huskies playing this weekend in Denver. That's that's a tough gig uh, for St. Cloud. But this this if St. Cloud somehow pulls out six points on the road, they haven't won in Denver since 2015, so that's not looking too good. Um, but it, let's just say they do, right? These are three huge points for both squads uh, when they meet on Tuesday the 8th. Yeah, I mean, you kind of alluded to it there. This is the first time and only time, actually, I believe that St. Cloud is playing Denver this year and Denver being the the highest in the NCHC right now and ranked highest nationally out of the NCHC. It's I don't want to say it's lucky for St. Cloud, but it is something that, you know, you're going to look at the schedule and be like, oh, thank God that we don't have to do that again. Um, and that's, you know, we're saying that before the series is actually played. But I, I think that's going to ring true when you're going to have to play three games in five days where the Bulldogs aren't going to have to be doing that. So that's something that I'm really hoping that they're able to take advantage of and that, you know, <laughs> unlucky for you, but I'm, I'm really hoping that St. Cloud is a little bit beat up and they are a little bit more tired and coming out of the altitude where the Bulldogs can kind of jump on that. And I, and I think the other part that, you know, we have to, to mention, too, is uh, Huskies will be out. Uh, for the next at least probably two, if not three weeks, without head coach Brett Larson. Um, defenseman Nick Perbix, who has been a stud, one NCHC defenseman of the month. And then, of course, uh, uh, Sam Henches, who came back from injury, was quiet last weekend, but had been on a tear since returning from injury. So there's some key pieces missing for St. Cloud. And again, going into enemy territory, one of the best teams in college hockey, it's not looking good for my Huskies. It really isn't. Um, but funny enough, you talk about having to play Denver after our little Tuesday matinee or whatever the heck you want to call it. You have to travel to Denver as well. So either way, it's it, it's a one-two puncher for both of our squads. Um, what have you liked about Denver this year besides uh, them just kind of seeming to run away with this NCHC conference? And I don't want to say it was surprising because it really, I don't think for those who follow the conference, this isn't surprising, but they're doing it in such dominant fashion. I think that has been a bit surprising. Yeah. I mean, you, you always think about the the top of the NCHC, at least recently, um, you're going to find Denver in there just about every year. Obviously you've got your North Dakota, Duluth and St. Cloud, but I mean, I wouldn't say that Denver is far behind any one of those schools, if not ahead, obviously right now they're ahead of all of them, but um, they've been that way for a long time. I mean, the Bulldogs have a long-standing rivalry with them, losing in 2017 to them in the national championship. And then, you know, going back and forth, they were always kind of the Achilles heel or kryptonite for the Bulldogs when they were playing. And I, I don't see that as changing this year, but, you know, 
spoiler alert, I'm going to call for a split when we're out there as well. I just, I, I don't see it any other way. It seems like it happens every single year. And, you know, whether you're splitting a series or splitting on the season overall, those teams just battle really, really tight. And, you know, that's maybe coming from a Bulldogs fan where you're always splitting with NCHC teams. But uh, I think that it's, it's nice to see the consistency, especially out of a team that's out West. Granted, they're not a new team like Arizona, but having a team out West like that, that you've got carrying the torch for, quote unquote, Western hockey, um, it's going to bring the the attention to some of those towns that might not have grown up with it like we do in Minnesota that draws some more intrigue from younger players and, you know, hopefully grows the game. Uh, Max, you know, we're getting into uh, pairwise conversations. It is February, right? We have one month essentially left of the regular season. Um, Bulldogs sitting 10th right now uh, in the pairwise. Now, um, not a lot, at least for me, that's dangerous except for one weekend. That is Miami, right? Miami is the team that you have to sweep. Other than that, I think Bulldogs feel pretty, I think, secure and that anywhere from maybe the 11th to 9th. Um, but how do you feel about the confidence for the Bulldogs to be in that selection process for the NCAA? Again, this is when these conversations really start to emerge when we get February. Uh, how confident do you feel the uh, we'll see the Bulldogs again in another NCAA tournament? Uh, I'm feeling confident. This is really reminiscent of you know, just about every year that I can remember in the past, aside from we've talked about before that 2019 season where they looked really, really good and, you know, the cream of the crop. But I don't see this as being a, a red flag being, you know, fourth in the NCHC or that they absolutely need to to kill anybody. They just need to play their game. And I think that we're going to see them in in March. Yeah, and let's let's talk about the NCHC, right? Because there, there, uh, there's a few names in the pairwise, right? Denver third, Western Michigan fourth, uh, Saint Cloud fifth, right? Duluth at technically ninth, although they're uh, the Michigan Tech and Massachusetts somehow tied with that. Uh, right. North Dakota at 13, they are absolutely on the bubble right now. So, uh, top five in the NCHC, as we mentioned before, in the pairwise conversation. So. Um, and this is where we get back to that debate, right? Does the NCHC, you know, it's so good, but is it too good? Are these teams beaten up on each other? And when they get to tournament time, is there any gas left in the tank? Yeah. I mean, when, when we're talking college football between, you know, basically anybody online, they always kind of joke about the PAC 12 beating up on one another. And it's a lower, I don't want to say lower quality, a different style of football. It's not the SEC. Correct. Yeah. It's not the SEC. <laughs> where, whereas you do have something like the NCHC, where it is the most, in my opinion, pro-ready hockey, where you are playing more physical and it's it's more competitive from game to game versus somebody like the ECAC or Hockey East or you know anybody that's out there this year, Atlantic Hockey included. Um, I think there is a little bit of cannibalism within the division there, where where teams are kind of beating up on one each other, one another both physically and mentally. And, you know, it, it takes its toll when you come into the, the end of the season there. And you saw it last year with Denver. It was a team that really deserved, in my opinion, to be in the NCAA tournament. And they just weren't in there for, for one reason or another, whether it's the strictly pairwise decision or for the optics of having some more variety. And, and I think that's, you know, if it, and you mentioned optics and I'm glad you brought that up because Omaha, right. Has been kind of flirting this year um, between you know, a team that emerged. I think earlier on, they were better. Now they're sitting at uh tied for 18th technically. So out, I guess, officially by number right. standards, but really they were ranked as high as I think 12th, I think was the highest they got maybe 14 and every other NCHC team above them. So, uh, you know, this does bring up the question of, you know, the voters, the East coast versus the West coast hockey. And, you know, 
could is there ever a time you could see the NCHC sending six teams to the NCAA tournament? Is it possible, or do the optics say, uh, "Bro, no way"? That's you, there's no way you can allow six teams in that conference to be in. I would say if there's as if there's a chance of that happening this year is as good of a chance as any. I mean, we've talked about it a couple other times and tonight already as well. Hockey East is a little bit weaker than it ever has been. You've got some of those teams like a Providence or Northeastern or either of the Massachusetts schools where they're kind of fighting with one another, but they're not fighting for a, a top team in the nation. You've got ECAC schools and you know Quinnipiac is way above everybody else in that division or conference, I should say. And there's Supposedly. not really any, yeah, there, there's <laughs> not really a battle there. And then you don't have really anybody. It's kind of shameful that somebody from Atlantic hockey is going to be taking a spot from somebody else. And I, I feel bad saying that, but it's, it's the truth this year, at least where, you know, you've got a lot more quality hockey players or, you know, type of play coming from a, a conference like the NCHC. That's just not going to get to play in the tournament because of the way that everything's set up right now. And, uh, you know, since you mentioned it, right, it's basically Big Ten NCHC, right? So teams that are not in those two conferences that are, uh, you could say, in the top 16 right now, Quinnipiac, technically six in the pairwise, uh, Michigan Tech, CCHA, right? So I guess that's Western. So let's include the CCHA. Um, I apologize to all my CCHA lenders. <laughs> that was that was pretty bad. They're going to get very mad at me for that. One, oh, yeah. my goodness gracious. <laughs> because, yeah, uh, how about Minnesota State, right? So, um Let's keep it back to West versus East, right? So Quinnipiac at number six, technically. You have to go all the way down to 14 for UMass Lowell. Um, I don't think, oh, Massachusetts number seven. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so that's three. Providence, Northeastern at 15, 16. So they're on the bubble Merrimack. So, but at that point, it's what, four teams then mm -hmm. out of the top, out of the top 16. And as you mentioned, the auto bids is the problem. You're going to get auto bids from a couple of those conferences and, this is where, again, whether it's a CCHA squad, I didn't forget you this time, a Big Ten or an NCHC squad, someone is going to get snubbed and likely they're not going to be happy about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I, I'm going to refer to Denver over and over again, and it's probably because of the NCHC bias. And I'll admit that I've got one there just because it's what I watch most often. Uh, it, it's going to be frustrating for whoever that is. And I'm just hopefully, you know, fingers crossed saying it's not going to be the Bulldogs. If it's North Dakota, I'm okay with that. Just just right. as a Husky yeah, fan, yeah. but that's okay. Um, but you know, I don't I don't think it's going to be the Bulldogs. Um, again, I think it would take a well. To me, there's one way it happens. If you somehow get swept by Miami, I there's no way in my righteous mind that that's ever going to happen. But college hockey is a, a, a funny beast sometimes. But uh, to me, with the strength of schedule you have left, I just I can't see even if you split the rest of the season i can't see how duluth drops lower than two spots and i still think they're pretty comfortable with where they're at but i digress right um max with uh, umd as we finish up here with them being uh uh not playing this weekend uh per se at least in, in competitive play uh, do you have any other plans as far as uh max Beach? what does max Beach do on weekends besides writing for ten thousand takes uh is there some beer drinking going on what, what are you going to be doing in place of umd hockey yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of beer drinking. Last weekend, we actually, at for the, the company, 10,000 Takes, we play, played in the Minnesotan Cup up in Scandia, Minnesota. We got uh, waxed pretty good by a, a couple of recent graduates from high school. Oh, geez. And uh, I was feeling it all week. So this week, we're taking it a little bit easy and doing some uh, some indoor activities with, with 10,000 Takes and a video coming out soon to kind of promote the Olympics and give our takes on that. 
Olympic will certainly be fun to watch again. Uh, plenty of Minnesota slash Midwest talent uh, heading over to the Winter Olympics in Beijing. So we'll have to keep uh, an eye on that as always uh, to support uh, the great athletes uh, for Team USA. And Max, again, thank you very much uh, for joining us here this evening. We'll now have to bring in Alex Micheletti, who will talk about um, yeah, the CCHA. I didn't forget him again. I'm going to go back and say it right. And we'll talk about uh, the number one team in the country as they've been most of the season, the Minnesota State Mavericks. And last but not least, joining us here on the MNCAA podcast, we bring in Alex Micheletti to talk a little MSU Mavericks. Uh, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Yes, good good to be back and uh, uh, fun to, to talk about another uh, uh, Mavericks sweep So and uh, uh, over Arizona State. So that was a fun, fun weekend for sure. Let's uh, get the fans caught up on that weekend. Again, you said it was going to be a high-scoring affair, um, and, and it, it kind of was, actually. Uh, six goals on Friday and then eight goals on Saturday. So there was a lot of goals, but uh, again, what matters is where do they all slide, right? It was Mankato on the positive end of both games, both Friday Saturday. Yeah, uh, you know, Dryden McKay picked up uh, win number 99 and 100 in his career. So, like, tied for, for third all-time in, in wins, which is – just insane to, to get to 100, 100 wins is is an incredible achievement by Dryden and uh, you know nice final weekend uh, for for Nathan Smith uh, you know he continues to to lead the nation in scoring with forty one points and uh, you know the final two games for for him and Mike Hastings before they uh, left uh, for for China and um, yeah they're they're only gonna miss miss uh, coach and and uh, Nathan Smith for for four games. So, um, you know, it shouldn't be too big of a burden for, for the Mavs to keep rolling. Uh, they will keep rolling uh, and rolling in a positive direction. I know, Alex, I am going to bring this up, but it's not the train wrecks uh, as we're recording this Wednesday night uh, that is happening both in Chicago and uh, the Minnesota Vikings, depending on how you slice it. You know, to me, I think the Vikings actually did the right thing. Uh, I'm not mm -hmm. a, uh, for, for Harbaugh, I get he's a big name, but I think he's recycled. Uh, to me, I think he's done enough in Michigan to prove um, at least anything of value to me for the Vikings organization. Um, I like the name that's emerged uh, for the Rams, so I'm okay with that. Uh, but for, for Chicago, holy H-E double hockey sticks. Has that been an absolute dumpster fire? Um, so since we're on the topic, why the hell? What we're going to talk about a little bit because, again, Minnesota State uh, a rolling, but for Chicago – uh, some of the comments made by by Ocker, uh, by, uh, by Ocker owner uh, Rocky Wirtz uh, there, uh, you know, when you're when you're trying to move forward, right? There, there's certain ways uh, that an organization can signal that they are making positive changes, that there are things in the works, or hey, you know what? Owner, you know, accountability, I think, is the word, right? Where mm -hmm. we understand we goofed up, and whether that was him personally being involved, which again, the reports that he wasn't, there are ways to communicate those. Uh, future ideas, whether they're implemented now or maybe later, or maybe, hey, we're working on something, right? This could have not gone any worse for an organization that has had both a not great season on the ice, also off the ice before tonight. And this, I don't know, tell me, the ship, I didn't think the ship could sink any worse, but it did tonight, Alex. Yeah, I mean, they, they have no business silencing Kyle Beach and um, you know, and they hired two guys from the 2010 team to help 
in the next GM search in in Hosa and Patrick Sharp. Uh, I don't I don't think that was necessary. That you know that just you know you know adds to the to the hoopla and uh, you know you got the owner you know challenging reporters and uh, you know established guys and Mark Lazarus there with the Athletic and. It's just just a horrible look, uh, you know, for uh, you know for them in the leadership position, and you know looks bad with with the fan base, you know, and you know it should be about healing and, and not silencing voices at all. No, uh, and again, uh, for for those who maybe have not seen it or heard about it, uh, basically Lazarus asking about what is you know what is the organization doing or in the future. Uh, to prevent another Kyle Beach. And essentially the, the response from the owner is, um, and I think what caught to me was he said something of, oh, but you don't work in this organization. And if you did, I'd answer you, but because you're not, I'm not going to answer you, which you talk about transparency, right? And how, mm-hmm. and I think in today's day and age, it's, so, it's such an important, I think the word is concept mm-hmm. because transparency to me is a concept, right? It's, it's not really the sheet of glass that we think it is. It really is about, giving people a little bit of insight of what's happening or what may be happening. This was not at all transparency. This was not at all. I think the better word is accountability Mm -hmm. and gave no sign to both fans, players, workers in the organization that anything has either a remotely changed now or worse will be changed in the future to prevent this sort of thing from happening again. Yeah. I mean, just time and time again, you know, how, how many mistakes in a row can this, you know, organization make? And, um, you know, it's, it's a bad look for, for the NHL too. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully Gary Bettman and in, in the league has something to say, you know, just, it's tough, you know, it's, you know, especially, you know, when it's that public too, and it gets, gets out right away. And the reaction is just, you know, everybody's just in shock and uh, it's it just, it, you know, this, you know, it can't happen again. And, you know, hockey cultures is trying to change. And, you know, you have, you know, you have the movement that, uh, you know, Matt Dumba and, uh, in the, you know, in that crew of guys is, is doing to try to, you know, get a diversity into the game too, as well. And so, yeah, just, just a tough, tough look for, for the, uh, for the league tonight. Uh, I, I will say this. I don't expect um, a league, any sort of comment from Batman or, or, or from Bill Daly as much as they probably should make a comment. I, I don't think, uh, again, when you when you run into a PR disaster that this has quickly become in the matter of hours, <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody really was anticipating uh, the league already trying to to deal with the foul of this. Right. And they've been as as much lawyered up as they probably could be Alex uh, there's mm-hmm. not only really, there's not a whole lot that the league could really do to try to stop the bleeding on this one but uh for the NHL the all-star game coming up in Las Vegas this weekend uh or is it this weekend I think it is right yeah yep. it is this weekend okay you can tell the calendar is flying by as we're <laughs> into, into February it's just crazy uh but also means that these college hockey games with the Minnesota State somehow number two in the pairways which doesn't make sense to me and behind no. Michigan what what the hell is that uh nonetheless to me We'll make the NCAA tournament no matter what. Yes. Uh, they're a lock. There's no question about that. They've been, again, consistently being very, very good. Uh, this weekend on the road at Bowling Green um, has had some success with them earlier. They did sweep them in, in pretty convincing fashion earlier uh, this uh, the earlier this season. Uh, I can't imagine, uh, Alex, that the, uh, the conversation this weekend wouldn't be much different than the results that you would expect uh, from earlier this season. Yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, Julian Napravnik was just named uh, – uh, CCHA player of the month in January. And I expect him to, 
you know, keep the train rolling with, uh, with Cade Borchard, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they'll find another line mate and, you know, the boys will, boys will keep rolling and, you know, I expect, uh, you know, Dryden to, to continue to play well. And, um, you know, they have a capable, um, associate head coach in, in, uh, Todd Cannot, um, you know, who's also the recruiting coordinator who's recruited all these guys, um, and, and Paul Kirtland, uh, assistant coach. And so I think, I think they'll just be just fine, uh, even even if it's you know a road series. Um, you know, Bowling Green is is a tough opponent. They've had just some absolute battles in in the past, and so you know it should be should be a fun, exciting weekend of, of hockey. You know, Ty Ty Agner has, does a great job of, of coaching the the Falcons, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Probably a sweep, right? Yeah, I would think so. Even on the road, um, it just just the way they're playing and um, you know, how, how well they're playing defensively too. You know, they kind of leaked it on, on Saturday. They let in two or they Arizona state scored twice with, with an empty net or uh, empty net. Um, but uh, you know, they held on and, you know, fun, fun to see Dryden get that a hundredth win. And uh, it was really cool to see Marty Turco um, give Dryden yeah. a shout out. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to see that Marty, um, follows the the college game still and you know is you know now tied with with Dryden and wins you know what let's talk about Dryden McKay because we don't do enough of that on this channel uh but <laughs> but uh Dryden a Hobie ha you know a Hobie nominee to me mm -hmm. I can't imagine a world where he's not a hat trick finalist and for those who maybe don't follow college hockey as much uh there's Hobie Baker nominees there's a big pool and then there's a final three that's called mm -hmm. the hat trick finalist I can't imagine Dryden McKay not being in the conversation. Do you do you agree? Do you disagree? Are there other players around that would somehow beat Dryden McKay in this three? Or is he basically like, dude, this this award's mine? He should be in there. I mean, uh, you're gonna have Maddie Beneers from Michigan probably right there. He's he's inching closer to Nathan Smith's lead. Um, you know, Owen Power, of course. Um, he's he's had a hell of a hell of a season too. Um, so and Jake Sanderson from from North Dakota, I'm sure will be be right there but what what dryden's doing is just you know absolutely incredible and you know 100 career wins now and you know just look at all the shutouts and you know he's you know he's shut out some really really good teams and um you know the train's just gonna keep rolling for him it's it's good that um you know he's not missing games for uh for the olympics um although team usa could probably use him but uh you know that allows him to keep um you know up, you know upping his wins uh, win total which is huge I think we are at a point where I think we do have to address sort of the uh, the elephant in the room, right, Alex? And that is with Dryden, with his career, with the way that he really has kind of burst onto the scene as one of the better college goalies uh, in NCAA history now, right, mm -hmm. with the records, the shutouts, the wins, right? Let's just say that Minnesota State goes on to win its first ever national championship. They've mm -hmm. got a pretty damn good shot at it, right? Yeah. Um, does Dryden McKay enter the conversation as one of the best collegiate goaltenders to ever play the game? Uh, you'd have to. I mean, you know, he passed Ryan Miller, you know, and for, for shutouts. And, uh, I mean, just look at his body of work. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, look at the conference he's in. But they've also done a great job of of non-conference non with, you know, scheduling. And um, he's proven that, uh, you know, he's done it at the national uh, you know, tournament level, you know, shutting out the Gophers last year, that was incredible. And, you know, getting to the, getting to the frozen four. So he definitely has to be in, in that conversation, you know, with, you know, guys like Marty Turco, Ryan Miller, Barrasso. I mean, you know, and 
Jeremy Swayman from from uh, when he was at Maine. And so, yeah, he's definitely got to be in that in that conversation. So we asked last week, right? And we'll probably end on this thought, Alex. And I asked you, does, did Minnesota State peak too early? You said, no, this team is too deep. This team has been consistent all year. Um, I suppose for a fan, right? If you're a Minnesota mm-hmm. State fan, you're looking yep. at how well this team's playing. Uh, for Minnesota college hockey fans, uh, as a St. Cloud person, um, I've got nightmares of 2018-2019 um, where we went in, never lost a game at home during the regular season. Uh, we lost in a very good uh, NCHC championship game against Duluth and then somehow laid the, mo- the probably the biggest egg in college hockey history against AIC, which I don't think a lot of college hockey fans in the Midwest even knew who the hell they were up until that weekend, right? Um, it, for Minnesota State... You know, to me, it's not a question of, you know, have they peaked too early? I think we're past that. To me, it's, yeah. you know, do you see any part of this team having, I don't know if the ability is the right word, but, you know, is there a point where can this team have a bad game and at the wrong time? Yeah, we, I mean, we've seen it this year, um, you know, against, against Ferris State, you know, they, they had a clunker against, against them, but, you know, I think, in the end, that's going to be the, you know, the best thing that ever happened to him this season, because, you know, it showed that, um, you know, in college hockey, any given night, um, you know, you can lose a game and, you know, look, uh, Arizona Coyotes just ended the Colorado Avalanche, like 18 uh, game winning streak at home, you know, so any, any given night, you know, yeah, good, good on the Coyotes. But, How funny uh, Arizona does that and they don't even have a home. How funny is right, that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. But, you know, I think, you know, in the end, that was the best thing to happen to them because they, they know it can happen. And, uh, you know, none of the guys were on this uh, team, but they, um, you know, Mankato had their own AIC game against RIT when they were, when the Mavs were the number one overall seed a few years ago in the NCAA tournament, then they, and they lost to RIT. So, um, you know, it can happen, you know, and that's, what's the beauty of a, of a one game, you know, you know, quote unquote series in the, in NCAA hockey tournament, it's uh winner go home. So, um, you know, losing the Ferris early, I think really, um, prepared them for, you know, for that type of moment. So, you know, and they've been rolling ever since. Uh, last question for you, Alex, and this is more of a broader or maybe a more specific view. Uh, again, February comes around. This mm-hmm. is when the pairwise really starts to a not only take shape, but kind of starts to get a little bit more concrete, right? Where teams, yeah. you know, unless there's a, a couple of clunkers in there, uh, the teams that are in that top 16 minus the automatic bids from the, the conference championship uh, winners, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are there any teams out there that scare you as a potential opponent in the NCAA tournament? If the Mavericks, again, assuming they get in, I can't imagine a world where they don't get in, right? Are there any yeah. teams that you don't want to face at all during the tournament and hope that some other team takes them out or they just simply don't reach to your level? Yeah, two in the CCHA, uh, Michigan Tech and in Northern Michigan. Um, you know, Michigan Tech's on a really good run right now. I think they're seventh in the pairwise, or at least they, they were um, the previous day. But uh, yeah, they they are playing phenomenal hockey right now, and in Northern Michigan has has you know figured out how to beat the Mavs. Um, you know, they they did it in the conference tournament last uh, last season, and um, you know they just recently beat beat the Mavs and in, in uh, you know a split, um, and so. Yeah, uh, I really like Grant Patolny's team. Um, you know, they're they play a really fun style of hockey as well. You know, just similar to the to the Mavs, and so 
those at least those two teams in conference, a team out of the conference that would scare me um, would definitely have to be uh, St. Cloud. Um, they, you know, they, they, that was such a fun series earlier, or, you know, quote unquote last year um, at, at the beginning, uh, you know, both, uh, both teams play so well defensively and uh, David Rennick is such a phenomenal um, goaltender and both games, no, neither team had any space. And so, um, you know, the games were won on, on special teams. And so, you know, that would, that would be a heck of a matchup, you know, if it were to occur in the, in the NCAA tournament, you know, it happened last year and, you know, came down right to the wire. Um, and I would expect that to happen again too, if they were able to face each other. Since I am a, a Husky guy, right. Uh, yeah. you know, was, I think there is for both teams, um, mm-hmm. a sort of this want for maybe that rematch, right. Yeah. Um, whether it's in, you know, those preliminary rounds, um, or whether it's in the frozen four, whether that's the semi or the final, uh, holy hell, would that be quite the hockey game? Wouldn't it be? Oh man, so much fun. I mean, I, it was, it was so fun to, I, you were down there with me, but it would, it was, the hockey was just incredible. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of the stars were getting shut down and, uh, um, you know, Nathan Smith had a, had a quiet weekend and you had guys emerge like Mason Salquist who got his first career, you know, college goal. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, just you know, a lot of fun. You know, Sam Hench just got hurt in that game, so it'd be fun to actually see him be completely healthy. And, uh, you know, uh, it was fun to watch Jack Pert as a, as a Wild fan and how well he's going to, you know, develop uh, in St. Cloud and, and just phenomenal goaltending with David Rennick and Dryden McKay. The saves they were making was just incredible and and, and the, both uh, both coaching staffs love each other you know Brett Larson and Mike Hastings have a really good relationship and so I'd be all over that game for sure would be for sure and for those who uh, who don't know uh, again Mike Hastings again hailing from St. Cloud there's actually a sponsored locker booth with Mike Hastings name on it in St. Cloud uh, for at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center so again you talk about the competitive nature it is on the ice again the respect amongst these two programs off the ice uh, couldn't be better yes. um alex mccaletti thank you very much uh, for joining us today that will wrap it for this week's episode so for those of you who want to continue to follow us please do so on twitter at mn underscore ncaa uh, for episode again number 17 i'm your host Nick maxson thanks again for joining us and we'll see you back here again 